Book Three, Chapter Four of the Black Star Passes by John Campbell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kirk Zickler. The three immediately set to work. At Arcot's suggestion, Wade and Morey attacked the plate of crystal in an attempt to tear off a small piece on which they might work. Arcot himself went into the televisophone room and put through a second call to Tycho's observatory. The great observatory had been so recently established on the frigid surface of the moon. The huge mirror, twenty feet in diameter, allowed an immense magnification, and stellar observations were greatly facilitated. For no one bothered them, and the scene was always perfect. However, the greater distance was rather handicapped to the ordinary televisophone stations, and all calls put through to the astronomers had to be made through the powerful sending station in St. Louis, where all interplanetary messages were sent and received, while that side of Earth was facing the station, and from Constantinople, when that city faced the satellite. These stations could bridge the distance readily and clearly. For several minutes Arcot waited while the connections were being made with the moon. Then for many more minutes he talked earnestly with the observer in this distant station, and at last satisfied he hung up. He had outlined his ideas concerning the black star, based upon the perturbation of planets. Then he had asked them to investigate the possibilities, and see if they could find any blotting out of stars by a light mass. Finally he returned to Morey and Wade, who had been working on the crystal plate. Wade had an expression of exasperation on his face, and Morey was grinning broadly. "'Hello, Arcot. You missed all the fun. You should have seen Wade struggle with that plate.' The plate during his absence had been twisted and bent, showing that it had undergone some terrific stresses. Now Wade began to make a series of highly forceful comments about the properties of the plate in a language that was not exactly scientific. It had value, though, in that it seemed to relieve his pent-up wrath. Why, Wade, you don't seem to like that stuff. Maybe the difficulty lies in your treatment, rather than in the material itself. What have you tried? Everything. I took a chronomium hacksaw that will eat through molybdenum steel like so much cheese, and it just wore its teeth off. I tried some of those diamond rotary saws you have, attached to an electric motor, and it wore out the diamonds. That's got my goat, so I tried using a little force. I put it in the tension testing machine and clamped it. The clamp was good for ten million pounds, but it began to bend, so I had to quit. Then Morey held it with a molecular beam, and I tried twisting it. Believe me, it gave me a real pleasure to see that thing yield under pressure. But it's not brittle, it merely bends. And I can't cut it, or even get some shavings off the darn thing. You said you wanted to make a jolly balanced determination of specific gravity, but the stuff is so dense you need only a tiny scrap, and I can't break it loose. Wade looked at the plate in thorough disgust. Arcot smiled sympathetically. He could understand his feelings, for the stuff certainly was stubborn. I'm sorry I didn't warn you fellows about what you'd run into, but I was so anxious to get that call through to the moon that I forgot to tell you how I expected to make it workable. Now, Wade, if you'll get another one of those diamond-tooth rotary saws, I'll get something that may help. Put the saw on the air motor. Use one made of chromium. Wade looked after the rapidly disappearing Arcot with raised eyebrows. Then, scratching his head, he turned and did as Arcot had asked. 
Arcot returned in about five minutes with a small handling machine and a huge magnet. It must have weighed nearly a half a ton. This he quickly connected to the heavy-duty power lines of the lab. Now running the handling machine into position, he quickly hoisted the bent and twisted plate to the poles of the magnet with the aid of the derrick. Then backing the handling machine out of the way, he returned briskly to his waiting associates. Now we'll see what we will see. With a confident smile, Arcot switched on the current of the big magnet. At once a terrific magnetic flux was sent up through the light metal. He took the little compressed air saw and applied it to the crystal plate. The smooth hiss of the air deepened to a harsh whine as the load came on it, and then the saw made contact with the refractory plate. Unbelievingly, Wade saw the little diamond-edged saw bite its way slowly but steadily into the plate. In a moment it had cut off a little corner of the light matter, and this fell with a heavy thud to the magnet pole, drawn down by the attraction of the magnet and by gravity. Shutting off the magnet, Arcot picked up a pair of pliers and gripped the little fragment. Phew! Light metal certainly isn't light metal. I'll bet this little scrap weighs ten pounds. We'll have to reduce it considerably before we can use it. But that shouldn't be too difficult. By using the magnet and several large diamond faceplates, they were able to work the tough material down into a thin sheet. Then, with a heavy press, they cut some very small fragments, and with these determined the specific gravity. Arcot, Wade finally asked, just how does the magnet make that stuff tractable? I'm not physicist enough to figure out what takes place inside the material. Magnetism worked as it did, Arcot explained, because in this light matter every photon is affected by the magnetism, and every photon is given a new motion. That stuff can be made to go with the speed of light, you know. It's the only solid that could be so affected. This stuff should be able, with the aid of a molecular motion beam, which will make all the photons move in parallel paths, to move at the full speed of each photon, 186,000 miles a second. The tremendous speed of these individual photons is what makes the material so hard. Their kinetic impulse is rather considerable. It's the kinetic blow that the molecules of metal give that keep the other metals from penetrating it. This simply gives such powerful impulse that even diamonds couldn't cut it. You know that an iron saw will cut platinum readily, yet if both are heated to say 1600 degrees, the iron is a liquid and the platinum very soft. But now the platinum cuts through iron. Heat probably won't have any effect on this stuff, but the action of the magnet on the individual photons corresponds to the effect of heat on the individual atoms and molecules. The mass is softened and we can work it. At least that's the way I figure it out. But now, Wade, I wish you'd see if you can determine the density of the stuff. You're more used to those determinations and that type of manipulation than we are. When you get through, we may be able to show you some interesting results ourselves. Wade picked up a tiny chip of the light metal and headed to his own laboratory. Here he set up his jolly balance and began to work on the fragment. His results were so amazing that he checked and rechecked his work, but always with the same answer. Finally, he returned to the lab where Arcot and Morey were busy at the construction of a large and complicated electrostatic apparatus. "'What did you find?' called out Arcot as he saw Wade re-enter the room. Hold your report a second and give us a hand here, will you? 
I have a laboratory scale apparatus of the type the Caxorians used in the storage of light. They've known ever since they began working with them that their machines would release the energy with more than normal violence if certain changes were made in them. That is, the light condenser, the device that stored the photons so close to each other, would also serve to urge them apart. I've made the necessary changes, and now I'm going to try to set up the apparatus to work on solid light matter. It was developed for a gaseous material, and it's a rather tricky thing to change it over, but I think we've almost got it. Wade, will you connect that high-frequency oscillator there? No, through that counterbalanced condenser. We may have to change the oscillator frequency quite a bit, but a variable condenser will do that. Now, what results did you get? Wade shook his head doubtfully. We all know it's amazing stuff. And of course, it must be heavy, but still... Well, anyway, I got a density of 103.5. Phew, 103.5. Lord, that's almost five times as heavy as the heaviest metal hereto known. There's about a half a cubic foot of the material. That would mean about 4,000 pounds for the whole mass, or two tons. No wonder we couldn't lift the plate. They stopped their work on the Caxorian apparatus to discuss the amazing results of the density test. But now they fell to it again, rapidly assembling the device, for each was a trained experimenter. With all but the final details completed, Arcot stood back and surveyed their handiwork. I think we'll have enough ergs to cause disintegration right here, he said. But I want to make sure, and so, before we set up the case over it, I think we may as well put that big magnet in place, and have it there to help in the work of disintegration if need be. At last the complete apparatus was set up, and the tiny bit of light matter they were to work on was placed on the table of a powerful Atchison projector microscope, the field of view being in the exact center of the field of both magnet and the coil. Carefully, then, step by step, Arcot, Morey, and Wade went over their work, checking and rechecking. "'Well, we're ready,' said Arcot finally, as he placed the projector screen in a position and dimmed the lights in the room. A touch of the switch and the projection screen was illuminated with a greatly enlarged image of the tiny scrap of light metal. With his hand on the switch, Arcot spoke to the other two. "'I won't say there's no danger, since we haven't done this before.' And if all the energy should be released at once, it'll blow out the top of the building. But I'm reasonably sure that it will work safely. Any objections? Wade shook his head, and Morey said, I can't see any flaws in our work. Arcot nodded, and unconsciously tensing, he closed the switch. This put the powerful Arcot oscillator tubes into action, and the power was ready for application. Slowly, he closed the rheostat and put the power into the coil. The little sliver of metal on the slide seemed to throb a bit, and its outline grew hazy. But at last, with full power on, the release was so slow as to be imperceptible. Guess we need the magnet after all. I'll put it on this time. He opened the coil circuit and closed the magnet circuit at half voltage, and then again he increased the current through the rheostat. This time the plate throbbed quite violently. It took the appearance of a bit of iodine. Dense vapors began pouring from it, and instantly those vapors became a blindingly brilliant flood of light. Harcott had snapped open the switch the moment he saw this display start, and it had had little time to act, for the instant the circuit was opened it subsided. 
but even in that brief time the light aluminum screen had suddenly become limp and then slumped down molten the room was unbearably hot and the men were half blinded by the intensity of the light it works yelled wade it works that sure was hot too it's roasting in here he flung open a window let's have some air arcot and morey gripped hands with a broad grin that display meant that earth and venus would have spaceships with which to fight spaceships reason enough for their joy though they had made an unusual amount of progress already there was still a great deal of development work to be done fuller was needed arcot decided so he called the elder morey and requested his services if he could be spared from his present work he could and would arrive later that day when fuller appeared about mid-afternoon he found the three friends already at work on the development of a more compact apparatus than the makeshift hookup used in making the first release mechanism and so you can see said arcot as he finished his summary of their work to that point we still have quite a job ahead of us i'm now trying to find some data for you to work on but i can tell you this we'll need a ship that has plenty of strength and plenty of speed there'll be the usual power plant of course the generators the power tube board and the electromagnetic relays for the regular molecular motion controls then in addition we must have controls for the ray projector though that must wait a while for dad is working on a method of doubling our range oh yes the driving units will be inside the ship now for all our power will come from the energy of the light matter they spent the next hour in discussing the manifold details involved in the design of their spaceship the mechanism involved in transferring the light energy to the drivers a means of forming the ship in interstellar space a main horizontal drive for forward and backward motion as well as braking three smaller vertical power units to give them freedom of direction in climb or descent other smaller horizontal power units for turning and moving sideways the ships they decided must be capable of six or seven thousand miles a second they would need three types of ships a small single-man speedster without bunk or living quarters simply a little power plant and weapon designed for speed and mobility it would be very hard to hit and because of its own offensive power would be dangerous to the enemy they would need a fleet of mother ships ships that could hold both the speedsters and their pilots say thirty to a cruiser there would also be some ten-man scouts operating in the same manner as the larger cruisers but with a smaller fleet of speedsters dependent on them for defense arcot concluded we'll have to depend on armor as heavy as we can make and still remain within the bounds of practical construction i don't believe we'll be able to build up enough mass to insulate against their negative catalyst ray we'll have to depend on mobility and offense but now let's get back to work i think fuller that you might call in the engineers of all the big aircraft and machine tool manufacturers and fabricators and have them ready to start work at once when the plans are finally drawn up you'd better get in touch with the venerian producers too those new works in sorthal kaxor will certainly be able to help a lot i suppose the interplanetary patrolmen will have something to say so they better be called in likewise the venerian council Morey, maybe your dad can handle some of this. As one, they rose and set to work on their respective tasks. The Planning and Building of the Earth-Venus War Fleet End of Chapter 4 Recording by Kirk Ziegler, Ogden, Utah, 
voiceover-solutions.com.